I'm Jim Kent. Canada's national investigation into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls has released its interim report a year after the struggling commission began its work. Dan Karpinchuk has more. The commission has faced sharp criticism from families and survivors who say there's been no clear action plan. The commission has also been plagued with resignations in key positions, including one of the commissioners. This week, it held three days of hearings in Nova Scotia. Now, after only a year, the commission is making recommendations, including more funding and the setting up of a national police task force that could investigate or reopen cases of missing and murdered Indigenous women. Brian Elfson is one of the commissioners. Given our mandate does not mandate us to, to reinvestigate or reopen these types of files, we can refer these types of files to authorities where we have concerns, but in order to properly address concerns raised in investigations, we're recommending that a police task force be set up. For now, the inquiry can only refer cases to police when new information is uncovered, but many of the families of victims want to know why investigations were stopped or leads were not fully investigated. And the Chief Commissioner, Marion Buller, says she will make a formal request for more time and more money for the inquiry to continue its work. Today, as we're here in this room, Indigenous women and girls are suffering violence that somehow has become normalized, and that's a national tragedy. Over the past 35 years, police reports estimate the number of those missing and murdered at nearly 1,200. That was Dan Karpinchuk, and I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced at the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. And I'm Karen Wright. It is 9.35 and you're listening to A Minnesota Morning. We've got our segment Gardening with Barb. And Barb, I am so thrilled this morning we reached the pledge drive goal. Of course, you know how important it is to pledge to independent public radio stations like KMSU. We had the polka show with... Ambrose Cadet, and we had Charlie in here and the whole polka crew. And I can hear you eating, Barb. You can. <laughs> Barb's eating her donut. <laughs> I actually, let me tell you something. <laughs> I had to lick my finger before I touched my papers because That's I didn't funny. bring a napkin. Oh, well. Oh, so, okay. Now there is a napkin there. Look at there, Barb. Oh, there it is. Oh, I, anyway. under. See, we're so excited. I've been playing kind of upbeat music and, and fun music because it's it's a happy time when you reach a goal like that. That's a significant yes. goal. And, and I've been dancing. And you've been dancing. That's yes. been awesome. Yes. And I know Beatrice, our student who is from Uganda, said it was really interesting. She goes, you know, I guess I, I heard polka before, but I didn't know that that was what polka was. So ah. so she came and because I said, you know, it's going to be really fun. You should come in early. So she did. So she got a chance to experience the concertina players in action this morning and the excitement of raising $5,000 in three hours. That's amazing. That is amazing. And thanks to the generosity of all of our listeners. Oh, wow. We so much yes. appreciate it. And uh, every time... We um, do something like this. We reach our goal. I just think, ah, people, you understand how important uh, public radio is. This is just such a such a good good thing to be able to do, and it's such an asset to our community. And Barb, you know, you've been doing this for thirty some years, so obviously yes. you have recognized for a long time 
And some people come to it a little later to realize what what an asset it is. I think, you know, growing up younger, I was more into listening to the music, um, pop stuff, because that's what everybody else is. But as you grow older, you become an individual and you realize that, wow, there's a lot of other stuff out there. And that's the kind of thing that we have on this show, including programs like the Garden Show. Yes, and I only wish that uh, uh, when I was younger, there would have been a gardening show to listen to. Yes. Because my, um, all, I was getting all my information from my grandmother, who was a gardener, and uh, she only shared information when she was willing, when she was in the mood to talk. <laughs> well, she she always, wasn't a talker, huh? No, she always thought children should be seen and not heard, and no wonder she was the oldest of 15 children. Oh, my came to this country when she was eight years old and uh, her mother at that time had six children and the seventh one was born uh, during the passage on the ship oh wow and so she'd always been around children had a big family of her own eight children she probably just wanted some peace and quiet (laughs) she did she did she absolutely did but when she got into the garden she would she would talk to you she would tell you about what she was growing and this was good or this wasn't good and she was pretty critical of something that she didn't think was up to snuff and that probably should go with her hoe and hoe it out she didn't have time for things that didn't produce it just that was it you know my first memories of gardening has to do with potatoes and I don't know if that's what your first experience I remember mom and dad making these hills they would make hills and then they would have a a hole in it and then uh, they would chop off all the eyes off of these potatoes that they would get and then we were supposed to put them and make sure you put the eyes up make sure it's eyes up and then one would be kind of small and dad would say why don't you put a couple in there? And then we'd get to the point where we go, maybe we should put two in this one, Dad. What do you think? You know, and it. Yes. So, Mom and Dad, um, that's my first experience of being in the garden and potatoes. Yes. You know, as a matter of fact, um, we all help with the planting of potatoes. And growing up in northern Minnesota, where our soil was so sandy, it really produced great yields of potatoes. And I can remember, too, walking along and dropping in the potato, the piece of potato, and it had to be with the, as you say, with the eye up, Mm -hmm. and then you would step over it, and then my mom would finish covering things up. But it was was something we all participated in. As a matter of fact, the two younger brothers, my, my youngest brother, Jimmy, I can remember him being out in the garden just as soon as he started walking. Well, so. you know what the job was for the little ones, and it was to tamp it down. That was the thing. Dad would always say, okay, now tamp it down good, so we would jump and put, <laughs> jump yeah, up yeah, and down on top right? of those hills. You know, probably not, I don't know if they needed that much tamping down, but that was always a cool thing for us, because when we went fencing with Dad, too, with in the in the pastures, tamping down the, the dirt around was, was the kids' thing. Sure. And you know, uh, uh, digging the potatoes, well, I didn't get to dig them, we would run behind and we would pick them up and they would go into a gunny sack. Now, I don't know if people know what a gunny sack is. Anymore. Burlap. Burlap, it's we call burlap. it. burlap. Yep. Yes, and we had those on the farm. Many things came in them. Feed, and yep. Lots. Yes, exactly. And then you would carry your sack out, out of the garden. I mean, we raised a lot of potatoes. Hey, Karen, I just wanted to talk about one thing that I'm really excited about. You know, farming is kind of in my blood, although, I mean, I 
wasn't really an active farmer, but I lived in the country. And we did have, part of my life, we did have livestock and, and crops, but part of my life, we, we, we rented out our fields. But the farmers, I read in the paper this morning, the buffer strips that they put onto farms where there was, uh, where they're up against streams and drainage ditches and rivers and lakes are 95% in now. I'm excited about that because I do know what a difference it makes because you know we've got a lake house and you know you've got a hill and the stuff runs down and if it just runs right into the lake you get all that dirt and debris and things but so that's where you've got like a grass well we've got essentially a buffer strip of of grass and and things that that basically things filter out and then the the good stuff lands in the the grassy part and then the the water clearly goes into the well, the I think that, that the buffer strips have a proven track record. Oh, yes. A- and, you know, years ago, when you look back years ago, how we used to take and fill in all that swampland and marshland because we thought, well, that's a waste. Right. That was actually not a waste. That was a good thing. No, that's for sure. You know, the thing that kind of amazes me is if a field that's uh, under cultivation and we have a lot of rain and it's not dr- the uh, low part isn't draining, it doesn't take long. And you see um uh you see the um the water like weeds the, uh, coming up again you know the cattails now how is it that they exist in that field and then when it gets Birds? wet no I don't know. no the cattails oh you know, I, well, they, yeah, but I mean, spread don't they spread by birds? I don't know seeds. I, I don't know because they have the when they get the little brown um, tops, the, the seeds cat, can the yeah cat the cattails they can yes. blow, I suppose. Yeah, I I don't know if that's it or not, but it's it's interesting how nature tries to go back to what is the normal yes. thing, you know, and starting all over again for us. But what I think, you know, I'm so happy about the farmers doing this and about yes. our legislature passing this law and. And uh, I think we should have a more dialogue about this and about the uh, clean water and that now those living in the urban areas, we have to do our part too. This has been no small thing that the farmers have done and now we have to bite the bullet in our cities and we have to say, now what can we do? What, you know, can we change our lifestyle a bit? Can we do something? Do we have to have this pristine lawn? Can we use less fertilizer, less herbicides, all of those things? And the answer is yes, but the point is, do people want to? And some don't care, and that's the sad part. That's why we need to get the, the word out, like you said, to let people know that this is going to affect futures, future generations. And, you know, as I'm driving along in the streets now, there's a lot of leaves that get blown out, and we learned from that talk we heard from Dr. Sarah Hobby from her research that a lot of the pollution that gets goes down into the the drains is from all that leaf litter and things that go down the drain. So try to not put it down, you know, or let it go down there. Yes. Um, I know, luckily, Mankato sucks up the leaves, I think, about four times, which is good. Because if you, it's only one time, you're more likely to get more. Oh, uh, you just can't do it with just one time. So, no. uh, And talking about our, our parks department in our city of Mankato, I just want to say congrats on those public planters that they've had out that have been so beautiful this summer. The plantings uh, along the roadways and streets that they have, they have the beautiful cannas in there, and whatever they're planting, it does extremely well. So if you have an area and you've thought, gee, I wonder what, what, 
what would be hardy in this area? Take a look at those public plantings. My goodness. Yeah, it's been really, really amazing. And, you know, I, I see some of the ones that they have, the hanging baskets that are beautiful, too. But that requires a lot of watering. That does. That does. And that's so a big commitment. Yeah, because somebody's got to maintain that, too. But but even like our little park, Busher Park, next to where, where we live, they planted in, in some planters and things. And they're just, just very beautiful. I mean, they planted, like you said, plants that are hardy. So look to see, like you said. And so you can maybe use those for your own. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even in a small area, um, there, like when you're driving, um, I think of Madison Avenue especially. Mm, yes. And you see these beautiful plantings. It just kind of relaxes you. And uh, to for me, it just kind of slows me down. And I think, wow, I'm not in such a rush after all. This is really great. Now, I don't mean to say that I put on the brakes and slow down. I don't do that. But it, but it is, it, it does affect your mood, I think, somewhat when you're driving on the street. So maybe it prevents accidents. I don't know. But congratulations to them. And I hope that uh, we always have funding for them because that is a, a really, really great thing. Right. So it's getting cold, Barb, and, and I'm uh, sweating bullets a little bit because I still have things I haven't got done. I found out this week, you know, I, I probably should mow my lawn one more time because yes. things are cold, but my lawnmower quit. Oh, I, I don't know if it's a spark plug. So it's it's the last one of the year. I said, how could you do this? The last one of the yeah, year and now yeah. you won't start. So I got to do that. I still have bulbs to plant, Barb. I do too. And guess what? I went to a, <clears throat> a place where the bulbs that were regular like ten dollars a bag were 98 cents so i bought some more oh yes i mean it's it's like okay. i'm just gonna dump them out you know they're yeah, they're yeah, crocus yeah. they're little and i'm just gonna dump them out and hope for the best because for 98 cents i can't go wrong okay here's something that i read about in one of my gardening books and i'm not recommending this or saying it's bad i don't know but you might try this Supposing you would get a good deal on a bunch of bags, yes. on a bunch of bags of bulbs. <laughs> right, right. And what they said is, and and you for now, you you know you should distribute them evenly and make a, a design out of this. Right. So what they said was, dig a trench. That's what I'm going to do. Put your, but this is the oh, thing. Okay. Put your bulbs into plastic containers oh. with soil in them, and set the whole thing in the trench. Then cover them up again with soil and put, uh, after it freezes, put some mulch on top of that. And then uh, next year they'll bloom there. And then take and lift that pot out and then find the place where you want it. What a great idea. Yeah, it is. So if if you have an area that just doesn't have any daffodils and, and you got a bargain on daffodils, just uh, line them out and figure out how they're going to look good. And they'll be just fine. And it's not like I don't have enough extra pots left over from, you know, dumping things out over the summer. So, Absolutely. okay, so I'll fill those. I'll put the bulbs in there. I'll dig, right. like you said, just a big, dig a big trench, put yeah. them out, and, yep. and yep. then I'll have them for later to put where I need them. Yes, yes. What a good idea. Huh? I like well, that. So you'll have to report on that for us next spring. See how it works. So, so we can see, yes. And um, another thing that you can do with those bulbs, Karen, is uh, pot them up and you put them in your refrigerator uh, water them down so they're wet, and uh, force them. It will take about, uh, oh, they say 13 to 15 weeks. It has never taken my bulbs 13 to 15 All weeks right. to bloom. So what do I put them in? Just a, a you use a regular pot that's got drainage. You could use one of those recyclable. In dirt? Do you put them in dirt? Yep, you put okay. them in dirt. So okay. you've got to have the room in the fridge. That's the first You know, thing. that's the thing. Everybody needs to have a second refrigerator. 
<laughs> for plants, for bulbs, for roots, that kind of stuff. It's just so important because, yeah, you can take up a few sh- a few different shelves. One year, I bought these grape hyacinth, and I thought, you know, they reproduce so fast. But oh, cute I'm, little, little yeah, things. But I'm yeah. going to do something with this. And I made a dish garden. I had the largest clay saucer uh-huh. that I could find. And I bet you it was... Uh, 16 inches, 18 inches? 16, 18 inches That's across. Good size. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I put some pebbles on the bottom. Okay. And then I put some soil in. And I poked uh, 50 or 60 of these grape hyacinth in there. Okay. And then I put that... So they uh, were really close then. Yeah, they were because this is this is the kind of thing that you're going to do for a one-time thing. Sure. And then I put them in a, a paper grocery bag. I stapled, I watered them, and then I mm-hmm. stapled that shut. Put them in the refrigerator. And actually, um, <clears throat> when you have something that's real shallow like that, you can adjust the trays in your refrigerator so you can put trays down. So low. how shallow was it? I mean, you, you oh, oh, heck. Oh, so it was a real, because I'm thinking of my pot. I've got like, they're probably six, eight inches tall, but. You can yeah. only do this if you're doing something with a small bulb, uh, like that squill or that or grape crocus bias. maybe. And, yes, uh, that would work. <coughs> okay. And it And pretty soon, after a couple of months, they were looking just fabulous they're coming through the soil and i took them and i put them on my front step they were absolutely gorgeous when did you take them out oh it was it probably was uh, uh march the end of march it depends on the weather you know when you want to but they were just fantastic and they were so gorgeous and i thought well that's it you know i'm gonna throw them away but i just kept them kept watering them and that and you know um, they did just fine. I took them out of there, and I just put them into the perennial border, and <clears throat> I put them towards the back. I put them all over, just like they were. So would've. you just dug, picked them out and just put them <laughs> in the ground and just said, okay, good luck. Yes, exactly. Okay. And and, and they, they grew. So it was like when you don't spend a lot of money for something, you know, just try it. Just try different things. The main thing with with forcing bulbs is that you get them into a pot that has good drainage. So like you said, you put the rocks, the, the pebbles or something. Yes, yes, exactly. And and that was the only time that I ever used something that didn't have regular drainage holes in it. But so it, it was, didn't, it, you didn't have any drainage holes in that then? Okay. Because mm-hmm. no. you don't want it to leak in the fridge, right, for right, example. Right, right, right. Okay. Well, and it, it wasn't really so much that either. It just simply was, it was the, I knew if I got a big mass that that would look just great on my front steps. You know, that's that, great because I got, well, actually I got three bags from the store for 98 cents each. One bag, I think I have, um, one bag has 60 mm-hmm. uh, crocus and they're the smaller, like uh, three to four inch. And then I got two bags that have 30 each. So I've got 120, <laughs> 120 bulbs, Barb. I, I know, but see, this also is about exercise. You continue to get all this really, really <laughs> yes. good exercise. So so that's that's really good too. Now, the other thing that I'm working on right now is, you know how I love amaryllis. And <clears throat> this amaryllis, we start from a bulb, and usually we receive them during the winter. A as lot of a Christmas gift. times, yes. Yeah, sometimes Thanksgiving, sometimes Christmas, and they are the easiest thing to hold over. Some of them I plant directly into uh, containers outside for just for the summer, and then they'll bloom out there. 
other ones I have in clay pots, and I leave them in there. And when they start shooting up, there's their flowering spike. I bring them back upstairs. I put them in the sunlight. Well, actually, I put them in the kitchen sink and water them really thoroughly. And then the water runs through the soil and out the drain so that it, so they get really well watered. Then they go into the front window. I give them a little bit of fertilizer, and they shoot these spikes up. Sometimes they'll shoot up two spikes. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes you'll have four blooms on one spike. Sometimes you'll have five. And if they're a smaller one, they because they're multiplying, mm-hmm. then you maybe just get one or two uh, blooms on a spike. But <clears throat> if they if they start getting crowded in there, after they get done blooming, with, yeah, blooming. Okay. And you can repot them then and, and, and divide them up and then get them in really good potting soil. I mean, when I say potting soil, this is something that you really do have to buy. I, I have tried making my own, and I just think the potting soil I buy is much better, and it's sterile, as right. sterile as it That's can be. So Hey, I've been ignoring, we have amaryllis, amaryllis, yeah, no. What we, yeah, we're talking amaryllis right now, the big red ones, right? Yes. Well, yes. we have a bunch, and, and Jeff brought a whole bunch because they were really cheap, and they've been sitting on the table all summer long, just sitting there, and now they're all dried up and nothing. There's nothing. So what should I do with them now? They're dormant. Right, so, they're dormant. Okay. So should so, I cool them or something? Nope, nope. So then all Well, they don't need to be cooled? Take them down. At, well, they need to go someplace where you're not going to water them or anything. So I put them in the basement. They go into this one room in the basement mm-hmm. that's not heated. There's a door okay. on it. I have shelves in there. Okay. And then I just kind of watch over them. I check about once a month to see how they're looking, and they're all sleeping, and that's good. Should I add any new soil or anything um, to make, <clears> you know, because the old soil, I think, well, the, haven't they sucked all the the nutrients they out? They probably have. So but what? you could you could, uh, uh, you could take them all out now, mm-hmm. and you could repot them right now and put new soil While in. While they're dormant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that would be a good time. Or you could wait till after they're done blooming and before they start shooting up their leaves, and you could do it then. But it, it's like it's not an exacting science. They're <laughs> so easy. So I counted. I have 28. <gasps> and I have... You're um, a, 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 a hoarder. I, of of no, <laughs> of the, they, um, just, they just they just grow well. They just multiply. <laughs> They're like rabbits. I mean, we intervention, know. intervention. Yes, and some of them are more prolific than others. So there's this one, which is my oldest amaryllis that I have, which is a bright orange red, and it's the first one to break dormancy. And it usually happens uh, like in January already. The rest of them are slower. Now, so just from varieties do their own thing, basically? Yeah. Okay. So I have a maroon and white one, which is, I can't think of the name right now. It's just great. I have one that's called uh, Christmas Time, which is, you can get them where they have the edges that are curved and are uh, roughly curves and have just the color along that edge and then the center will be white or mm-hmm. uh, so I, the different co- combinations of red orange and white and then this one is white with maroon on it and that's the slowest one it's okay. the most hybridized one i think and it's very slow but it's it's really gorgeous when you see it so pay attention to them and if someone gives you one just thank them profusely because now you're going to be raising amaryllis bulbs you'll have them 
So, of course, it's going to be cold this weekend. Some areas are going to get snow. What should we be doing now? I know that it's been a hard frost or been cold when my zinnias finally go yes brown. And so I have all those brown zinnias. And uh, one thing I think I'm going to do, my, my cannas have turned brown now, my canna lilies. I think I'm going to have to dig those up because once those uh, freeze off, they say now's the time to dig yeah. your dahlias and your canna lilies. Do it before it gets the ground gets frozen because then you have to save those. And so that's one thing I'm doing probably this weekend. How about you? Yep, yep. I have to do the same thing. I have dug the dahlias because I use those um, holes that I had for putting uh, tulip bulbs in. Oh, that's in. right. You were. So so I needed that. But uh, the cannas have got so big. And I was out there with my spade. The root has multiplied. Oh, yes. They definitely multiply and hugely, yes. And, and they're so tall. The tallest ones are over six feet tall. Now, I don't know why they get so tall in my garden, but they Moisture. do. Moisture. They love water. So <clears> well, you... yeah, and maybe that was it, too. But it's great because the hummingbirds will come to those uh, to those red flowers or those orange flowers or whatever color flowers you have, and they love it. They're, they're there every single day. So I'm going to continue to do that. It seems like the cannas are really easy to store. I put them in a cardboard box, and <clears throat> I don't wash them. I just cut off the tops. I leave about the stem about, oh, I don't know, two and a half, three inches. Yeah, that's about what I do. Yeah, and then carefully put them in there, and uh, then I put <clears throat> newspaper on top of them, and I put them on a shelf, too. That's that's all they get. Now, the gladiola bulbs, they don't like to be covered with soil. Sometimes we do that, or sphagnum, so they don't dry out. See, I do the sphagnum <clears throat> with my canna lilies and my uh, dahlias, but I've never done the, I've never had the gladioli, so I'm not familiar yeah, with them. Yeah, so that's the only one, I think, that really has to be uh, bare, so it's, 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 it's maybe about keeping them dry. Uh, the dahlias are a little bit more fussy. They, you know, like our friend Harvey Hess, um, he, he he moistens that sphagnum that he has around them, and the dahlias also. I put sphagnum around them because uh, that is one that it's a tuber, mm -hmm. and it dries out very, very easily, at least at my house it does. So um, I'm doing that, and then as always, you know, when we have anything in storage like that, don't forget about it forever check on it at least once a month well, to see and, things. and like harvey says he can tell so, so so if it looks like it's um maybe starting to sprout or something he'll open the top and let it get a little dry you know drier yes. or if it's you yes know, yes too dry put the lid back on and he kind of keeps an eye and you you have to because i mean i, I have <laughs> forgotten some and i've lost some because i've let them rot right because if you don't check them that's what happens you know i brought my christmas cactus in the christmas cactus and the uh, orchid cactus, it's called, that I have, mm -hmm. have been in the greenhouse. But now, because it's not heated right. at night, in the daytime, it warms up really nice. I, I brought them in, and my Christmas cactus has become so big. I mean, it's it's almost unmanageable at this, because it... <laughs> It's gotten how do so. You, how do you repot those, really? Because, because you know, sometimes <clears throat> they do get huge. Like Grandma's one, I remember she had one. It was just massive and took up a whole entire corner of a room. Right. And I mean, what do you do? I know you can take segments off and start new ones. But well, they're very easy to start yeah. if you start with a single green. Um, it's part of the stem. Take that off, and and you can. They will. Uh, 
you dry them off and then you put them in some sphagnum or just some potting soil and they will root very very easily but the thing of it is when you have a big one and the crown of it is almost like um it's well it's like a a tree root almost. It's so big and tough in that, and it doesn't look nice in there. So I'm trying to decide if I should start over again or if I should just keep this one. Now, my grandmother, with her Christmas cactus, she always had a fern stand in the living room, and this Christmas cactus went on that fern stand in front of the window. So it got lots of light, and of course, in in those older farmhouses, it was always cool at night, so it it did extremely well. It was a gorgeous thing for for the time that it was blooming, but it certainly wasn't gorgeous when it wasn't blooming. It, it too... (laughs) the the uh, plant itself the the branches that come out the they start getting almost like a they dark and they get black it's the new growth on them that stays really nice healthy and looking, green right. and healthy looking yeah. yeah yeah so so that's something to think about if you want to start over again or maybe you don't even like the color boy there's so many different colors of those christmas cactus now but if you get one if you've got the right conditions, it'll grow really, really fast. And, and there's really very little you have to do with them. Which is the kind of plants a lot of people need or yes. want. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Barb. Always great chatting with you. Thank you, Karen. It's one minute past 10. You're listening to A Minnesota Morning on KMSU Radio 89.7 FM in Mankato and KMSK 91.3 FM in Austin online at KMSU.org. Broadcasting from the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. Big ideas and real world thinking. Well, the temp stands at freezing right now. It is 32. Today's high 39 with a 40% chance of snow that's what it looks like snow because it's going to get a bit cooler it's saying about a tenth of an inch so it's not going to amount to a whole lot but looks like saturday we will warm up if there is any snowflakes on the ground 46 degrees might melt them but it's going to still be overcast and then on sunday it looks like some sunshine and a high of 41 then next week cooling down 35 for the high on monday and tuesday 34 so get those jackets out and just be ready to to know that yeah it's uh, getting to be closer to winter. And how much snow will we get? Well, it depends on where you live. Minnesota is set for another bout of snow today with up to six inches possible in some places. The heaviest snow is expected to fall in west central Minnesota with counties west of Alexandria seeing between four to six inches once the system moves into the state on Friday afternoon. The National Weather Service says that the snow will rapidly develop across central Minnesota with a winter weather advisory issued for a line north of the I-94 corridor up to Brainerd. Most places in this advisory area will see between 2 to 4 inches total accumulation and the heaviest snow is expected between 6 p.m. and midnight with commuters warned to expect slippery road conditions and then it's going to be moving east into Wisconsin overnight with the weather advisory in place for east central Minnesota until 7 a.m. on Saturday. And the Twin Cities won't get quite as much of the white stuff with models suggesting one to two inches falling in the central and north metro with less than an inch in the south. So not much for us down here. And in other news headlines, Minnesota recently surpassed 300 road fatalities. Since January 1st, preliminary data from the Department of Public Safety Office of Traffic Safety shows that 306 people have died on Minnesota roads. The state reported 300 deaths on October 17th of last year. 
And so uh, those statistics aren't looking good. They say the recent deaths include a 44-year-old male motorcyclist who lost control on a Scott County road, a 24-year-old unbelted man who died after losing control on an icy Sherburne County road, and a 61-year-old unbelted male pickup driver in Washington County. And they say October and November are challenging months when it comes to avoiding deer as well. And the uh, firearms season begins tomorrow for deer hunting. And according to the Department of Public Safety statistics, it says in the last five years, 27 motorists have died and almost 2,000 people have been injured in deer crashes. So far in 2017, four crashes involving deer have resulted in five fatalities. All of those killed were motorcyclists. Those are some of the headlines at this hour. We've got our Maverick magazine coming up after this history lesson. Welcome to MN90, Minnesota history in 90 seconds. After graduating from the Stanford University Writing